0: Hi, how are you? My daughter just lost her first tooth about an hour ago. Uh, We've never lied to her. My wife and I had to immediately get on the same page. Are we going to start lying? Are we going to say there is a tooth fairy? Are we going to create some magic in the night? Do you have cash? I don't have cash. Do you have cash? How much cash do you have? How much cash do we need? Do we put an IOU for a toy? Do we lie to her? Because we're Jews. We don't have to do the Santa lies. Or the Easter Bunny lies, I guess we open the door for Elijah, but is that even a lie? Who cares? No one even cares that you keep the door open for Elijah at a Seder, but we're Jews. We haven't had the discussion of fake Santa. It's coming down the chimney. Leave out the cookies. There are no cookies. There's no Easter Bunny. I mean, we go to Rick's house for the egg hunt, but still, this is the first time my wife and I said, Do we start lying? Do we create The idea of Tooth Fairy? Because it sounds fun. It sounds fun, but we're new age parents and we read stories like, don't lie to your kids and be upfront with them about all these topics that I guess parents used to lie to their kids about. Because if you start now, you could fuck up their whole lives. You start lying to them now about the Tooth Fairy who comes in their room, some stranger with wings comes in their room. And just drop some cash under the pillow. That sounds fun, but I guess it's problematic nowadays. It's a little problematic nowadays. There's a fly in this room. Damn, I feel like I have not recorded in a while. And I was starting to get into that mental groove. But I got to now just stop and kill a fly. I got to kill a fly, folks. Hold on. Holy shit. Okay, I'm back. That took a while. I edited out a lot of silence, and in the silence, it was just me swinging an envelope. Envelope or envelope, you decide, but at a fly, and I was not successful, so I don't know where the fly went. I don't even really remember what tangent I was on, but my daughter lost her first tooth. And five bucks is the answer if you're like well how much i mean obviously you're going tooth fairy right you're gonna still do tooth fairy right don't overthink it don't overthink it is a great thing to tell young parents don't overthink it some things can still be like they once were my wife even murmured to herself well i had the tooth fairy as a kid and i'm not messed up now i was like what You had to validate that your parents did the tooth fairy for you as a kid and you're not messed up as an adult. We overanalyze in this house a little bit. A little bit. But also it's a little sudden. The tooth was just a little wiggly a couple of weeks ago. Just a little wiggly. And then tonight, I like my produce crisp, hard, crunchy. I like everything to have the consistency of an apple. Nectarine, peach, apricot, plum. Give me it when it's just barely edible. Like when it's so ripe, I don't know what the word ripe means. By the way, that's a whole debate. What does ripe even mean? Talk about it right now with a friend or a coworker, or your wife or your husband or your partner. Just talk about what does ripe mean. Do you think you could define ripe? That'll start a hot debate, but I like premature fruit when it's so crunchy. So I buy these peaches at the grocery store that are just like rocks, and I cut one up for Mila. And she starts eating it, and I actually was putting honey on it and syrup on it. I was like turning it into candy for her because she wanted something sweet, and we had no candy in the house because we usually don't have candy in the house because we're new-age parents, and we overthink everything. And we go, we can't just give her candy all the time, not just for dental purposes, but because you don't want to be those parents who bribe. And I know bribery's great with little kids. If you do this, we'll give you this. If you do this, we'll give you this. If you shut up, we'll give you this. If you go there, we'll give you this, the incentive program. But really, we're talking bribes, right? So we don't have candy at the house because that'll just lead to bribes, but I do know how to put a little dollop of honey on a crunchy peach that's going to set a tooth on a course of wiggle wiggle goodbye. The tooth came out tonight. It went from wiggly to truly like Alvin and the Chipmunks, tying your tooth against the door and slamming the door. That's what the peach did to this little girl. And she was crying because there was blood, but I don't think there was pain. I just think there was blood. Blood without pain is alarming to a five-year-old, but right now the Tooth Fairy's in the house, and it's like a horror movie. It's not like a charming Tooth Fairy story. This Tooth Fairy is a crazy motherfucker. Oh, the fly's back. God! Is this a sign? I'm gonna overthink it. Is this a sign that I'm gonna say something to get canceled? So I should just stop this episode. Episode 217, the one where I finally get canceled. And I don't even know what canceling means. Because I'm not a celebrity. But maybe this fly was sent by the podcast gods to go, No! No! Because it's distracting me on a level that, let's be honest, folks. I can't multitask. I can't try to swat at a fly and still give you this gold This tooth fairy gold. All right, forget the tooth topic. Make America great again. (laughs) You're like, what? What has changed with Josh? I'm just saying, make things great again, right? No, no, no. You said make America great again. Uh, Okay, I took another leave of absence. I took another brief podcast sabbatical. And I killed that fucking fly. I killed that fucking fly oh it felt good this time sometimes i feel bad but that bastard was ruining the show and this is the show you came for you've been waiting for and it's here it's here on a platter and i'm trying to serve it to you but there's nothing to serve because was in my ear in my face and just the sight Oh, so easily distracted. So yeah, really, make America. You can't just say that. You can't freely say it. You're drawing a line in the sand. But I'm going to further break it down, the campaign slogan of Trump, because I was taking my daughter to gymnastics camp the other day, and I got stuck at a red light. This is rare where I live, in Santa Fe, Marin County. It's rare to see a big truck with all the Trump stickers, all the anti-Biden Rhetoric spewed from bumper stickers at a long red light. And it's making my blood boil. And the guy in front of me has everything you would expect. Don't take my guns, bumper stickers. Let's go, Brandon. He's got Happy Easter with Trump's face. And of course, the classic, make America great again. So forget all of the other stuff for a moment. Forget all of the other stuff. Make America great again again. He's not the first president with this campaign slogan. And I know if you just take it at face value, a lot of people on both sides might be into that because a lot of people tend to romanticize how it used to be, even me to a certain extent. Now, how it used to be in our own little bubbles, but not on a macro level. When you think how it used to be in this country, it will make you cringe quite a bit. For many many minority groups from black people to women to many lgbtq i mean just to so many groups that have suffered have been marginalized and mistreated in this country the idea of let's go back let's make america great again that insinuates that it was great okay so then it's a political topic but just From a general standpoint. And here's why it was such a brilliant campaign idea. I guess it still is. It'll manipulate some minds. Because a lot of people can tell charming stories. About their upbringing. And the nostalgia just sounds good. And it continues to sound good. As you tell younger generations of how it used to be. And these are the stories that are like Norman Rockwell paintings. We just go, ah, Americana. A classic vintage story from grandpa. Talking about that old apple cobbler that his great aunt used to make out in savannah georgia every august and the taste of the cobbler as grandpa's telling this story all the cousins would be around on the patio pledging allegiance as the waves came crashing in oh it's a great story so some people they do want to make things great again i'll say things instead of america Right? I'm not trying to understand the whole Trump base. I'm not trying to understand the furthest radical right. I'm just trying to look at this slogan and go, what does that mean to some people? Let's make America great again. Let's make things great again. Because if you say things, a lot of people are guilty of just saying it used to be better. It used to be better. Or just telling stories that sounded good, like a simple America to some people. Like, my daughter was riding her bike with training wheels with Nana, with my mom. We were on a dog walk. And my daughter, she can't really ride that bike yet. She was wobbly, about to fall out of the time. And my mom's like, you know, I remember I struggled as well learning to ride a bike. I even paid a neighbor in Bubblegum to teach me. And I was like, what? Mom, I've never heard this story. And then she's telling the story. And I'm picturing Forest Glen Road, where she's from in Pittsburgh. And you know when you start picturing a story, and it's almost like you're just picturing... The Donna Reed Show or Leave It to Beaver or just something in black and white from a previous era. And it's like the story in your mind just goes on overdrive and it's wonderful. I guess I love nostalgia. And when any old person tells a story about what they used to serve at this diner by my house or the movie theater experience or a ball game experience back in the day, I love it. I love documentaries about sports more than current sporting events because they capture a time. And they present it to me, and it just looks good and it feels good. Even me personally. If I think about going to school, when I went to school, we weren't scared of any school shootings. It wasn't even a topic. There was no cyberbullying. It wasn't even a topic. Now, these little tiny things, how we consumed music, buying compact discs, as I like to think about what the mall meant. Like what a Northgate mall trip meant. And I start to yearn. I don't think I yearn for it. But when I talk about it, it kind of gives me a good feeling like, hey, you remember spring training when you had access to the players? It's not like it is today with a corporate price of tickets and you can't even get close to this. And I could even say some things like that, like, God, it'd be nice to just go back to a simpler time, you know, make like make America great. No, no, no. You can't say that. That that phrase is stolen, taken, hijacked. That's gone. That's gone. I remember when Trump won the first election against Hillary, we had a staff meeting. Ugh, am I sick again? Yeah, probably. We had a staff meeting at the high school I was working at, and one staff member's like, you know, when we see these red hats, it's not just about politics. Those are now symbols for white supremacy for some people, not for everyone, but for some people, they slap on that MAGA hat, and that has nothing to do with politics like policy like legislation it has more to do with white is right and white supremacy and now we have a guy in the oval office who's going to push our agenda through and finally we could just slap on all the bumper stickers to the back of a truck and ruin josh's day as he's at a red light just trying to get to gymnastics camp ruin my day eh, i don't like bumper stickers period it's a little much it's a little jarring to try to read that much When you're on the road, and I said to my wife, all right, the feeling has consumed me. Talk me down. She's like, all right, this guy in his little marble bubble on a floating rock called planet Earth has a different belief system than you. And what are you going to do? Let it ruin you? And just simplify it. Zoom out. She has a good perspective. I go, oh, that's good. I like that. I like what you said. I like that. But memories of how things used to be. I think that's the point. They're powerful. How things used to be. And a political campaign that has tapped into that for so many folks, a lot of white folks, so many folks who do yearn, that's the right word, yearn for things to just go back before we were inundated with screens. When people would knock on your door and it wasn't alarming, you would just let them in. Companies here, kids playing in the street, latchkey, kids not helicopter parents, Saturday morning cartoons. See, I could do it. I could do it. Oh, wasn't it great Saturday morning cartoons? You remember watching MTV music videos after school with a Hot Pocket? But here's the height of it. Like when I was really starting to romanticize my own memories of being a kid, I was on a run in the neighborhood I grew up in, just on a run. We were at a park by Miller Creek, and I take a left, and I'm at Mary Silvera, an elementary school which had a baseball diamond, a field with a fence that I played on when I was 10, 11, 12, and that's majors. You know, I think it was minors, majors, then senior minors and senior majors, and baseball meant a lot to me because that was my circle of friends, just being outdoors. I loved practice. I loved BP. I love fielding grounders. I love game day. I love talking to the other teams. I loved like, breaking down their rosters and our rosters. I just loved it, you know. One of my best friends to this day, his dad, Josh Friday, his dad drafted me at age 10 to be on the Royals. Age 10, I'm drafted onto a baseball team, and now I'm 41, and that's still my best friend. And the glue, the initial glue, was baseball. And I was on this run, and I was just looking at the field. I actually stopped my run and just looked at Mary Silvera, and it's the same diamond. It looked like the same grass, the same fence, and I was like, whoa, whoa. Nothing has changed. They didn't pave paradise and put up a parking lot. This is still Mary Silvera, where I assume they're still Royals games. And then I went so deep into my own Norman Rockwell mental painting of like, oh, wow. We had a player named Chris Ronier. You know, he didn't want to be on the team at first, probably because he wanted to be with other 12 year olds. And we were a bunch of 10 year olds and we were pretty good players, but we weren't like Chris. Chris. Chris seemed like a grown man. He showed up 20 minutes late to our first practice, and all of our coaches were just like, hey, Chris, here's the ball. Can you show us how pitching looks? And he went on the hill, and it's like he was throwing 90. To my 10-year-old eyes, to see a 12-year-old, that's a pretty pronounced age difference, a 10-year-old to a 12-year-old, and watching Chris Ronier just pitch. He was number 16 already. He already had a number. Did he already have his number retired in the outfield? To my mind, he was a Hall of Fame baseball player. Ronier could hit, hit a home run every game. One of the best players in the whole league. And he was kind of friendly to us after time where he realized that we were a decent team. He was nice to us and we became buddies or maybe I would just rollerblade home with him. Chris, can I come over? Can I see your bedroom? Want to play ping pong? Want to play darts? You guys have a pool? You guys have a big house? You have cool older siblings. One sister is a piano star. And the other, Eric Ronier, who passed away, sadly. He was like a great skier. He was like a legend with Nitro Circus. Is that something? I don't know. He was on MTV. And this was Chris Ronier to my 10-year-old eyes. I was like, that's the greatest athlete in the world. And guess what? Everyone has that story. If you're listening right now, think about the greatest athlete. Who's the greatest 12-year-old athlete in your neighborhood? Couldn't touch those memories. Think about how powerful and influential, and they just shape us, these memories. And on the same run, going past Mary Mary Silvera when I made a left, I saw Chris Ronier's house. I don't think his parents still live there. And I also don't know what became of him. I mean, he really was a legitimate athlete. He ended up playing uh, Major League Soccer for the San Jose Earthquakes. And I think he changed his name to Thor. I I don't know much. It's kind of cool that he's not on social media, you know? Your mind just goes to different places. What became of Ronier? I think when he was in the MLS, the announcers were told to pronounce his name Ronier. So he's like changing. He like changed his existence because he was a famous soccer player. One of the greatest soccer players. And as, as I even talk about him, I really want you to think about memories that are so strong as a kid that if you visited that park or that baseball diamond, or walked by the home of one of your friends, what feelings will come to mind? What smells, you know, what theater would show up in your brain? This is the non-political make America great again rant. Is that possible? Of course not. You say, make America great again. It only means one thing nowadays, but just, hey, let's make things great again. Let's have our kids just spend a day on a baseball diamond without phones. No chance, no chance. My wife is scared of aliens. All right. And I don't think she wants me saying that right now, but this is a safe zone. I don't know what that means. This is a safe zone. Like, I could say what I want. I'm safe. Yeah, I'm safe. But my wife might be like, why are you talking about my fear of aliens on the podcast? And I'll say, because I'm scared of so many things. Oh, my God. There's a long list of things I'm scared of, but not aliens. And I know this. Because a few months ago, there was an actual article, not in the National Enquirer, but in the San Francisco Chronicle, sfgate.com, about these people in Nevada that called the cops because they said giant, like 17, 18 foot green, yeah, green, I think it was green, green beings showed up at the window. They called the cops. And guess what? There are no photos, there's no footage of this, but it was in a mainstream newspaper. And I told my wife, hey, Read this. I didn't know it would trigger her on this like primal level of fearing the unknown and being visited by creatures, by little or big green creatures, as the movies have depicted what they would look like. And then three weeks ago, I saw in the paper, there was an actual congressional hearing where a former Air Force pilot accused our government of concealing a whole program of UFO information. Why would our government, like, why? Of all things to conceal, why not let the people know? Yeah, there's UFOs. There's aliens. It's fine. It's fine. You can let us know. And then the Senate denied, denied, denied it all. And I'm like, oh, okay. There's a audience out there for this that likes to investigate it, uh, that wants to bring it to our government, accuse our government. And it's actually a big, interesting topic. Like, do you believe there's life beyond earth? I think most people say, yeah. Has it visited? I don't know. Some people have a story like, oh yeah, oh yeah, I've seen it, I've seen it. I've seen something a little strange, but most of us don't have a story. And there's not a lot of documented stories. And I'm actually curious as to why I'm not scared of it. If I'm scared of everything, like I'm scared there was a bear in Terralinda, there was a bear story in Terralinda, and now I'm always scared of a bear attack, like every day. Just on the streets of TL. There was one bear. Now I'm scared of a bear attack. I'm always scared of a snake attack. I mean, come on. I'm still scared of being kidnapped. And I'm not a kid. I'm scared of being kidnapped. Like if a car slows down and I'm walking, I'm like, what, 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 what? Then what? I don't assume that they're trying to park at their own home. I'm always like looking over my shoulder. What? Oh, here it comes. Here comes my kidnapping from the 80s, but it's just a little postponed. I'm scared of reckless drivers. You ever just going 65, 70, 75, and someone just goes by you at 110, and you're like, well, well, if you clipped me, that's goodbye. So I'm scared of recklessness on the highway, I think. What else am I scared of? Diseases, of course. All horror movies based on a true story, including Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Was that based on a true story? Holy shit. Fire in the Sky. Um, can't even say those words. It was a movie about an alien. Oh, maybe I am scared of aliens because Fire in the Sky was about an alien abduction. I don't know. Maybe I could handle that movie nowadays. But my wife, who's cool, calm, and collected about most things, she said that she remained scared. That San Francisco Chronicle story of these folks in Nevada who were like, the green beings came and the cops came and it was in the newspapers. My wife's like, you know that wrecked me for a day and a half. And I was like, okay, I'm sorry. I guess I won't go down that path. But I kind of like that path. I think it's comforting. I don't want to be all alone. I don't want us earthlings to be it. This is it. I want to morph into a different sphere. I'll fall into a black hole after my ashes and energy and decomposed remains one day just fall through the earth and they just get scattered beyond the atmosphere. I'm going to say a lot of things that don't make sense right now, so stay with me. You know, and then it'll scatter and reform into this new being and then I'll be an alien and I'll try to visit earth and when I do, no one's going to recognize me, and I won't even recognize anything. Isn't it easy to write a dumb movie? It's probably hard to write a really good movie, but it's so easy to write a dumb movie. How about this? We are the ghosts. I said that the other day. My wife's like, there is already a movie about that. We are the ghosts. Instead of asking my wife, hey, are you scared of ghosts? What if we are ghosts right now? I'm a ghost right now in this house. I'm haunting this house. It's not a great movie. Like I said, it's easy to write a bad movie, right? Do you know what umwelt is? Umwelt? Umwelt is cool to think about. We as humans are experiencing the world just the way our senses work. Obviously. Obviously. But the definition of umwelt, U-M-W-E-L-T, is the world as it's experienced by a particular organism the worlds they perceive, and they're all different. So when you walk by a ladybug, don't assume, that's eh, a sunny day for me, isn't it hot ladybug? Or I love the taste of Twix. Ladybug, do you enjoy Twix? Or isn't it great the sight of a babbling brook or a tree in the forest? Ladybug, and the ladybug's like, look, I'm not experiencing any of that. I'm going through my existence straight umwelt style with a very different unique sensory system all of my input it's different than your input i mean you see this if you're a dog owner dogs stop they smell every bush they smell every car tire they smell everything acutely sensitive nose abilities and smells that they take in it matters deeply on a level that we don't understand. We just go, huh, <laughs> led by their noses, aren't they? We don't know what the fuck we're saying. These dogs are not just led by their noses. It's creating comfort in the world. How do we create comfort in the world? Through our senses. But our senses, we can't project onto all of the other beings. Even look at plants. Living beings. It's a whole theory. It's just that the mind and the world are inseparable. Because it's the mind that interprets the world for the organism. So because of the individuality and uniqueness of the history of every single little organism that we're sharing this planet with, the umwelt will differ. It all differs. I didn't know this word. I was babbling about something and my wife's like, oh, you mean umwelt?" Because she read half a book about this. I don't think she finished the book. Just how all animals experience this whole thing differently. Like there's things I can't see right now in the old from infrared to UV I mean, we've created a lot of tools to experience this world and experience certain senses that we don't naturally possess. That's kind of cool. Our scientific breakthroughs are always helping us see deeper into what we now deem to be our reality. But there was a time where people weren't understanding all of the many Um, unwelt and unseen things out there. You know the feeling of you're trying to convey a point and you're like, just abort, just abort. Just tell people to Google something. Oh, that's a great teacher. Just Google it. It's a real great TED Talk. Halfway through, you're like, "Uh, my mic doesn't work anymore. The building's on fire. Um, Could you all just Google what I'm saying? Because this shit ain't working. Uh, I thought I would really have a big umwelt breakthrough explaining it. But I didn't read the book. If my wife reads half the book, doesn't finish it, and talks about it with me for three minutes, and I'm barely listening to her, and then I go, oh, that's a nice topic for the podcast, and I just go, umwelt. And you're all like, yeah, what about it? And I'm like, animals, sensory, unique. Googling, ah, fuck it. Next, Jamie Lee Curtis and the Bear. Anybody? Most powerful performance you'll ever see. No, honestly, Jamie Lee Curtis and the Bear, the Christmas episode? Are you out of your mind? Who who acts at that level? I mean, think about the greatest actors of all time. Who's at Jamie Lee Curtis's The Bear Christmas episode level? What the? was that that was the most insane accurate thrilling sad destructive performance an alcoholic mother who just slowly unravels and ruins the whole holiday that she believes she's putting together like she believes in the good of her heart that she's putting together a nice Christmas for her family but she's just destroying everybody and it's a ticking time bomb and the cast, this one Christmas episode, season two of The Bear, John Mulaney's in it. Bob Odenkirk is in this episode, but Jamie Lee Curtis, are you are you nuts? Way to master your craft, Jamie Lee, Jamie Lee from Trading Places, isn't she a prostitute? in trading places but then we love her like we don't look at her as you know a prostitute like that's illegal you're selling sex on the street because she's so good to Dan Aykroyd once he gets bounced out of his own mansion and Eddie Murphy replaces him and Jamie Lee Curtis was so incredibly hot back then and now fast forward to the bear and you're just like I can't watch this anymore whoa that's a powerhouse and I have not even seen everything everywhere all at once which I know she's in as well all right what are you watching Hard Knocks, Sex in the City. What are you watching? Who cares, right? Who cares? Every show is just like six to eight episodes. It gets people talking for a week. It gets people talking for a week or two, and then you forget about it. But in those two weeks, you're convinced that this is the greatest show ever. I've said that so many times. Like the White Lotus to Dave to Little Fires Everywhere to Big Little Lies to Dope Sick to beef all these shows like for a week or two you're like oh my god but now it's sensory overload there's always just too much good stuff so maybe none of it's that memorable there's too much good stuff so none of it really sticks it's just a conversation for a few days before you move on you move on you move on but i'm not moving on from the bear season two which starts a little slow but it heats up hot 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 do you know what intergenerational trauma is now that i don't even have to google but if you ever have dynamics with family members And you're just like, it doesn't work. It doesn't work. I hate these people. These people probably hate me too. It's just so much trauma piled on. And everyone's creating their own narrative at the same time. And you're like, why has this dynamic been set in stone? Literally set in stone. Like, why am I programmed? Why is my DNA programmed? It could be a great, great grandpa who had these traits, who was dealing with something that required those traits. But you possess them now in this world, and it doesn't really apply to your world but perhaps you're more abrasive than you even know, or perhaps you coward everyone and you're just totally subservient. You're like, why? Why don't I stand up for myself, but I can't handle these people and I shy away from that? Or why am I aggressive and confrontational? Or why are there just family members that you can't vibe with? You can't jive with intergenerational trauma. We're blind to it a lot of the time. You know, this is like a psychological study of can you stop it? Can you stop it? And there's a movement right now of people probably my age who are like, look, I got parented this way, but I don't want to parent that way. Because even though that's the way I got parented, even though that was the way I was raised and that was normal back then, I can't keep doing that. I can't keep that cycle going. I got to nip it in the bud. Those are outdated techniques That approach doesn't work in my house anymore. We got to reinvent parenting as we move forward. And I think more parents moving forward are going to continue to improve the job, the job of parenting, you know, 200 years ago. What is it? You're just having kids to work on the farm. I mean, you still love them, but, you know, you're just having a bunch of offspring. You're not rubbing their back and reading them Berenstain Bears books for an hour just to get them to sleep and looking at the monitor and smiling and just looking at the monitor and smiling and going, look at her. Just look at her. No. But nowadays we're so over the top with our care. Yet a lot of us are just flailing at times, right? Aimlessly just, wait, what do we do now? And how do we do this? How do we not screw them up there? And how do we protect them from that, but also empower them to be brave? And how do we equip them with the proper knowledge to be open-minded and friendly and positive and bring positivity in the world? And, uh uh-oh, if they have a shitty day, how do we just help them battle through and explain that some days are shitty, and we're all learning this too as adults, and then we try to convey it to these little ones, and we hope that's how the world gets better. If we parent better, the world gets better. If we teach better, the world gets better. I don't think it's up to politicians, I don't think it's up to legislation because you could change laws, but you got to change psychology first. You got to change people's mental approach. What the hell am I talking about? Back to Umwelt. And wealth is where the organism... All right, you know what? My wife and I, we probably need to go to the ATM. Five bucks in 2023? You can't drop a five under a kid's pillow if they lose a tooth in 2023. They were doing five bucks in the 80s, right? Or maybe $2 bills. It's a crisp $2 bill. But yeah, I think I might have to go to the ATM right now. Drop a 20 under the pillow. And then when she goes... Where'd this come from, my wife and I'll just ah, we can't lie to you, it's us, we went to the ATM last night, we can't lie to you, we're worried we're going to screw you up, we can't do that before kindergarten starts. Alright folks, that's it for tonight, I, uh, I think if there's anything to Google, it's Chris Ronier, it who's great with the Royals, we all just watched him, 10 year olds just watching the 12 year old pitch, heat, guy was great. Alright, leave a nice rating or review on iTunes and have yourself... A wonderful evening or morning or afternoon, wherever you're listening to this. I wish you well. That's episode 217. It's in the motherfucking books. I'll talk to you soon. So they won't